Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. So today we're going to talk about slow, this concept of range and integration and what we need to increase our capacity to do big things together. And if possible, and I suggest it's usually possible in a neighborly way. When you notice kids playing, children who jump up and down on the bed over and over and over and over again, and they do this for days after days after days, or they like to twirl, spin, spin, spin until they fall down and they laugh and they get back up and they do it again, and this cycle continues. An adult might respond with that being out of their range. Stop that. Get down. Stop jumping on the bed. Or they might wonder, why do they want to spin around and get themselves dizzy and feel that way? Well, actually, I suspect what they're doing is calibrating their vestibular system so that they can balance and open up their range wide to life to do big things and adventures while they're learning those skills. Their body and mind need to prime together and learn how to communicate. And they do that by training every day. They're spinning and then they are dizzy and then the dizziness stops and they do it again and again and again. And so that the dizziness bothers them less, but they also seem to delight in it. That's what's so curious about many children, not all of course, but how they delight in things that might seem uncomfortable, frightening, or even annoying to an adult. Similarly with jumping up and down on the bed, that has a similar effect with the eyes and the ears and the neck and the feet working together to keep the person upright and going up and down, up and down. And they might really enjoy this and laugh with glee. And of course, standard disclaimers apply. I'm not saying go do these things with your kids or let them do these things, or that is for you to decide at your own risk in your own households. But just this method over the details. If we can start focusing on the method over the details, that might give us an opportunity to turn down the noise and increase the range. What do I mean by turn down the noise? I mean desensitizing ourselves to stimuli that might normally bother us, irritate us. And you can generalize from what I'm saying in your own life, or rather reflect on what I'm saying in your own life. This can happen in a wide range of situations or encounters. Someone might say something that reminds you of something in the past or that's irritating or that comes off a certain kind of way. And all of a sudden your adrenal system is just in a full-blown fight or flight or freeze or fawn or any of the other reactions that start with the letter F and there's more than three. And again, not to minimize trauma by any means, that happens when a person is conditioned out of range so severely that the 
standard stimuli that might not bother someone else would bother them. And the reason for that is because there is a threat signal attached to that stimuli. And for the everyday person, or rather the other person who may not have experienced a trauma in her or his life, they won't react in that same way because for them, that stimuli will stop. The stimuli will stop. It won't keep going or it won't happen again out of the blue. It won't be insidious. They don't have to be hypervigilant about it. They don't have to hold themselves in chronic persistent tension waiting for the next shoe to drop. The encouragement in these is many methods for therapy or what we would call rehabilitation, but I prefer the word training. Training is such a a positive word, such a positive outlook and prognosis to it because we're moving forward, increasing strength. We're moving forward a goal, forward and toward an opportunity in the future that we're able to experience a little bit of now and therefore maybe even have some joy with it. Many of the training regimens around rehabilitating or recalibrating a person's nervous system can involve desensitizing it. And again, I'm not uh, educating on this for you to put into practice those things. There are many qualified physical therapists and counselors who do somatic or neuro-linguistic programming, NLP work, or other expressive or cognitive works who can help you with the grounding or the desensitization that the stabilization of your your gaze or your balance. They can work with you and help you improve in those areas. So I am not that person, but I do understand those concepts on a personal level, having gone through them. And I also am encouraged to know that it is possible to heal and to move forward. And how we talk about that process matters. Again, it's the, in this case, message over the details that's hidden in the method that we're doing and the perspective we're taking in it. Remember how children can be gleeful out of things that might annoy the average adult and children might seem to be erratic in their noise. It might not have this routine or we don't know or can't control when they speak out or or play out, or what some might believe, act out in a certain way. And it's supposed to be that way because children are developing their range. And it's interesting to me, bringing in a spiritual perspective, how Jesus encouraged us to have a childlike faith and how he scolded the adults, not the children, for turning the children away. The disciples didn't want the children or their mothers, so there might have been a hidden sexism in that and a mom hate in that. We don't know. I'm not saying that of the disciples, but I do know that those things exist in cultures and societies and even some religions. But the the disciples wanted to turn them away from Jesus, and Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me. So not only was he validating the child, he was validating the parent who gave the permission for a short break, a short reprieve, and to allow the child to increase his his or her range and go encounter Jesus, this person who was known to be a miracle worker, a teacher who talked smack to the Pharisees and the legal people, the religious leaders and the legal leaders who spoke cleverly to the political leaders of his day and who taught well about God, who understood 
because he understood compassion. He gazed at the crowds with compassion. He saw that they were wandering and without a shepherd, hapless as it were, as some versions tend to put it. But he welcomed the children and validated the parents who were allowing this to take place. There was no uptight and be quiet. The preacher is preaching. There was no, you know, manage your child on your own, go away. We have more important spiritual and theological or religious business to attend to. There was none of that about him. He welcomed them. And interestingly enough, this was all in the situation where the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest in heaven, who would be the greatest, who would, and in a way it's ironic because this was partly prompted by their mothers who asked Jesus, you know, can my son sit next to you in heaven? And Jesus said, you don't know the cost of glory. I'm paraphrasing. I often do that uh, in the podcast here. He said, you don't know the cost of glory, the price that I will be paying to go sit at my father's right hand. In other words, he was going to die on the cross. He's going to be the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. And it wasn't just to pay for that, but it was to defeat death and to give us a new life, a new healing, a new range to move forward and towards Sometimes when we're learning something new, we need to go slow. You know, when a child is learning to walk, they stand up and fall down. And the key is, is that they persist. Sometimes it's easy when you go through something hard or painful, when that happens or when you're reminded of that to stop and to go small and to freeze up, to be sedentary, to stay home. And again, disclaimer, not saying to do that, not giving advice, the method over the details here. The child is courageous and willing to stand up and try again. And my son was just amazing and inspiring to me on our walks to Starbucks in those early days when for a while it was the only place to go with him. And we were walking by on a sidewalk, a safe sidewalk, but by by an avenue and there were trees and everything, but he would fall down and get back up. And he would, what was curious to me, he was smiling <laughs> And I know everyone's different. Our personalities are different. People are different. Not every child is going to be this delightful, gleeful bundle of joy all the time. We all have our limitations that take us outside of our range. But, you know, I was so impressed that he would be joyful and happy. It's like he saw something different in that experience than just the falling down. And I don't know about you, but it seems like with adults and if you look up transformational learning theory and some other concepts about adult learning, we tend to like to just focus on the problem. And the challenge with that is when we talk about more problems, it tells the brain and maybe even the spirit and the emotions too that the that that's what we're to dwell on. That's what we're to stay in and camp at. We have to manage and control this. And the trouble is, is when we talk about problems, we can end up talking about more problems and our solutions come out of those problems. And that might seem a logical step, but we might be missing out on a lot more range. One area I enjoy working with community leaders, organizational leaders, caregivers, parents, other women, and some civic leaders as well, basically leaders of organizations that also includes the home. I enjoy working with them in storage systems design. Storage system design comes from another framework 
called Idealized Systems Design, and I put, pulled those together in my previous research in my dissertation. But the gist of it is I work with partnerships, and we would go through a series of stories uh, that were prompts for them. So rather than an interview question per se, it was also their own story related to the topic, which for that study was compassionate community and how they saw that taking place in their organization. And oftentimes, and interestingly, many of these conversations would be around identity. So what was their me, we, and identities, and what's the future story? And those are the three that that tend to be the focus of a core of my work. And, and in the future, I will be developing some e-courses on that. So stay tuned for that. But the idea and the whole focus, the whole drive and push of this approach is to not be problems focused. It's a solutions focus. But actually, it's even a little more than that. Because if we just do solutions focus, again, it does increase our range a bit. It gets us focused on the future and moving towards something. And yet it also still restricts to a problem as a basis. So what we do is we talk more about some of the other things that brought them to the work and what drives and motivates them and inspires them and how they are working together. And this is what often gets caught up in organizational consulting. We tend to miss the we story. And this is something I work heavily on with people and they really enjoy it because it's something that they need. And I think it's part of the American culture, perhaps, that we're just not as driven towards we as much anymore. We have so many individual ideologies and biases that it's very easy to have, a, again, ner- more narrow range. And in this case, the range would be the self and the experience of the self and many coaching paradigms and even some yoga practices and other philosophies kind of stem out of this finding your authentic self. (laughs) And we want to know what does that mean? And it's definitely identity-based, but it's also experience-based. And when you go back to some of the philosophies that are informing those, they they don't really approach it in that way. And so, again, this is not a criticism of any of those methods. It's just this difference of what I do is distinct because it focuses on the we story and it attempts to do that in an open way where we're building out a strategy, a strategic plan for them and their organization, a strategic vision that they can then move forward on their messaging, with their marketing, with the products that they offer, with the cultural norms that they promote and reward in their organization, and so on and so forth. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below. And Inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree. Mm-hmm.